The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. Sonia McEntee is sitting there. She's Principal Solicitor at Sonia McEntee Solicitors and Chair of uh, the Law Society's PR Committee. Any questions for her? 53106 or 087-1400-106. Start with that one, a comment to the uh, Thánisthe, if you would, Sonia, that says that my landlord can still lie to get me out of my home and then put up the rent. This is because there's a couple of reasons a landlord can evict you. If they want to sell it or if they want it for the family home. If you discover that you think they've lied to get you out, have you recourse? Uh, you do. You can go back to the Residential Tenancies Board. So there has been, I suppose, a tightening up of the rules and regulations around these kinds of situations for precisely these kinds of reasons. Um, whether um, whether real or perceived, um, there are certainly situations where tenants believe that they're being asked to leave properties for reasons that are not or that can't be justified or that can't be supported. So um, when tenants now are given notice, a landlord has to notify the RTB at that time. I'm giving the tenant notice. So the RTB is already, I suppose, on notice, if you like, that um, a termination of tenancy is coming. Um, there is a time limit within which, say, for example, a house going for sale. So there's a time limit within which binding contracts for sale must be entered into. All right. If the landlord doesn't proceed with the sale, the obligation is on the landlord to go back and offer the property back to the tenant that has moved out. Oh, is that so? That, it, that's absolutely right. The problem there, though, is the tenant has moved on and found someplace else to live. So it's there in in theory, if you like, but I don't know how real it is as a as Well, a it's a bit like thing in, in employment law or one of the resolutions may be offering the person their job back, which isn't a lot of help if you've ended up in legal action if, against each and other. And if relationships are entirely broken down. So j- just one other little piece there, um, Anton. The landlords do have to swear statutory declarations around this process as well. So um, And the RTB can prosecute, all right, for... And, and a breach of statutory declaration is also an offence in law. Do so, they? Because it, the RTB has a reputation of being... I think Kafka-esque is putting it nicely in terms of the bureaucratic nature of interacting with them. Well, I, I, I'd agree with the increasing bu- levels of bureaucracy. Oh, you're very that diplomatic, Sonia. Very in, diplomatic. In, in the last several years, it's got harder and harder. And what I would also say as well is that for, for um, an agency that was set up originally really to take legal advisors out of that dispute process, solicitors are coming back into it more and more because of all of the amendments over the last several years. Landlords are no longer sure about what they can do and tenants are, you know, like the query that you've just had there, very unclear or uncertain about what the rights are as well. And with, with all due respect to your profession, solicitors have quite the the history of being able to inveigle themselves back into processes that were designed to remove them. I think of the Personal Injuries Assessment Board as case in point. Well, 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 there's a right to representation and it's important that processes are run clearly and properly and in the ben- for the benefit of all. All right, so if a process... Uh, you know, it's it's interesting you raise it because where we'll see this playing out now in the next while, um, Anton, is around the enduring powers of attorney and we've talked a little bit about this before. So the rules were changed there earlier this year. Um, solicitors have largely been removed from that process and enduring powers of attorney now are to be registered um, with the new um, decision support making service. The problem is... We're six months into it and as far as I'm aware there isn't one single enduring power of attorney that has been registered as yet because of the process. That six been months in. in place. Six months in and further in one situation that I dealt with myself we wanted to do something urgently and we couldn't do it. We have a text in that I want to ask you about because it has the flavour of the small acorn from which deep resentment might grow. The question is I've just discovered part of my house is on my neighbour's land. How can we fix this? 
Uh, yeah, no, and this, this, I, I'm not going to say this is a common problem, but it, it does come But up boundary a, a, disputes, a your hedge has grown too far, yeah, all little, of that stuff. And, and sometimes this isn't even about a boundary hedge, but um, we've certainly seen situations where when you look at the land registry records, you find boundary lines that are running through people's houses. Now, there are several reasons why that might have happened. One of them might be simple error. Um, one of them may be that the land registry mapping was done prior to a house being built. And then it was updated and digitised later, showing the, the corner of your house, if you like, on your neighbour's property. There's a number of things that you can do. The first thing really is to talk to your neighbour about getting it sorted out. Because if you can resolve it by agreement, and very often people will say, oh yeah, I recognise. Or maybe a laneway, if you like, that is in the ownership of one, but should be in the ownership of the other. Um, very often people will recognise, no, that is a mistake. They can both sign a simple document. The land registry will change the record. Um, where there is a dispute, you may find yourself you know, going into the land registry in the first instance to try to have them um, amend amend the records or a court application, which, you know, could be very, very expensive as well. So it does have to be resolved. Very many people are very reasonable in these circumstances. The first place to start is with your neighbouring owner and to see, can you agree I something there? I assume it must be very... There are some, I, I guess, uh, like I think about the North Lots in Dublin where there was an area of reclaimed land and we know at the period, well, here is where they split it into lots and we can pr- fairly easily figure out what those lots are. I assume there must be areas of land where trying to figure out exactly where boundaries are is very tricky. There are there are still swathes of properties across the country that are um, what we call unregistered title. So the registration details are in the Registry of Deeds. The way I describe this to clients is if you, if you think about and you see it on the TV, sometimes the large bundles of deeds tied up with the pink ribbons, they're that bundle of deeds and you are relying on maps that are attached to those deeds, some of which may go back hundreds of years. All right, so are not... Um, are not are not digitised, all right. So they're not um, necessarily as accurate as we would like to see them see them nowadays. But that's what you're working with, and yeah, sometimes you do have to engage with other parties, other solicitors to to um, define more clearly where a boundary line might be. A couple of interesting uh, ones. One very specific. Can you ask the solicitor, the solicitor of course, Sonia McEntee from Sonia McEntee Solicitors, if requirement for a relative need means need for a relative or just want for a relative? Do you understand that? Because I, I don't. I was going to say, what's the context right. of that question? That's fine. As long as there's a pair of us in it. We, if, if you want to come back to us with context in the next 90 seconds or so, we will come back to it. Uh, another one saying, my son spent three years trying to get his deposit back, ended up in court, finally got a court order against the landlord and he finally paid, coming up on four years and lots of landlords aren't even registered with the RTB. This goes to the difficulty of actually dealing with landlord conflict. Yeah, and, and there's no doubt about it. I suppose like like any business people out there, you have good landlords, mediocre landlords and, and bad landlords and a tenant is entitled to their deposit back provided the property is handed back in reasonable shape. Um, wear and tear is allowable, all right? A landlord can't, can't withhold a deposit based on wear and tear in the house. Obviously, damage would need to be covered, but um, the deposits really should. And we need a stronger system around the return of deposits for tenants. There's no doubt about that. OK, I have no legal advice whatsoever, but I'm going to wade into this one with what I think is the correct answer. Um, that answer being all of it. So the question is, uh, I am looking to leave my uh, house to my godson. What's the likely tax exposure given that he is not a blood relative? Is it all of it? 
Can you shield yourself from any tax if you're giving it to a, a godson? A, a minimal amount. I think it's 16,250. 16,250 would be an exempt gift amount. But if the and house is 300 grand. Yes, or, or inheritance amount, I should say, we're talking about here. But um, yes, if the house is 300, very, very sizable inheritance tax bill. But if you're looking at someone who is single, um, so no, no partner, no reference, obviously, to any children, anything like that, um, regardless of who they look to leave that house to, there's going to be a very, very sizable inheritance Sorry, tax bill. Sorry, I should say it begins. I am single. Mm. I wish to leave my house to my my godson. Mm-hmm. So that means there's nobody they can leave it to and, and protect any tax from inheritance because nobody's there's, a blood relative. There's very, um, the tax-free exemptions are set out based on bloodlines. There is a very, very limited tax exemption in relation to dwelling houses, which has been tightened up like all tax reliefs very considerably over the last, uh, I'd say, since the financial crash. Really only applies where there's no other interest in a dwelling house for the beneficiary, but also where the beneficiary has lived in the home for three years prior to the death. So we're really talking about maybe children who have looked after parents as they've, you know, that kind of situation that that exemption is there. But just to just to mention it in case someone says, someone thinks, oh, well, you didn't reference that. In, Which in goes response. to the thing that you are always saying. Uh, sorry, this makes it sound like you're a one-trick pony. You're not in any way, but it is a point that you often make, which is that thing of make a will. Absolutely. Don't die intestate because you deal with all of those issues rather than flinging it at the wall and seeing what happens. As always, Sonia, we have more than we could possibly address. Thank you very much for your time. That is Sonia McEntee, Principal Solicitor at Sonia McEntee Solicitors and also Chair of the Law Society's PR committee. We'll gather up any ones that Sonia wasn't, that I wasn't able to get to, to give to Sonia and we'll get them addressed the next time she is in. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine. On News Talk.